Hello and welcome to Tardigrade Talks. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Samran, and this is a podcast for anyone interested in cultivating greater psychological health, wellness, and resilience. In this week's episode, I am thrilled to introduce you to Mandy Gill, health and wellness advocate, keynote speaker, media personality, and podcaster. Mandy has many, many accomplishments, but to just name a few, Mandy is a national athlete and has been a four-year CrossFit regional qualifier and has completed 34 ultra marathons. She's an entrepreneur and has built and launched a wellness company and a healthy habits app. She has also appeared hundreds of times across various media platforms, including TV, radio, and magazines. And her most recent endeavor, Hooked on Habits, is a podcast where she hosts uplifting conversations with successful and resilient individuals. We'll be talking about living with and recovering from an eating disorder, how our careers can evolve and grow in unexpected ways, and how an athlete and motivational speaker deals with her own bad days. Mandy, a great big, huge welcome. I am so thrilled to be speaking with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm listening to you go through, you know, that that lineup from over the years, I guess nearly a decade that all of those bits and pieces of myself that have come together. And even sometimes I'm kind of like, who is that person? So <laughs> yeah, do you have that? Because you're so accomplished. And like when you're hearing that, do you have that little like, oh, is that me? Well, the greatest part is, I mean, I'm sitting here curled up in a blanket beside my dog. There's a candle lit, you know, and it's just like, oh, okay, who is that person? Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that, that sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yes. Well, you're human at the end of the day, aren't you? And we see all these like filtered versions of personas through media and that can, you know, sometimes we forget there's a real human behind it that has insecurities and all those things that we all do. That is exactly it. We are all human and we do become resilient uh, when we put, you know, our minds and our hearts to it and, and drive with that purpose forward. So thank you so much for bringing me to this conversation today. Well, thank you, Mandy. And, and I've known you a long time through our respective work in the media. And one of the things that's really stood out um, about you from the moment I met you is how psychologically oriented and open and aware you are. Um, and Mandy, your passion for mental health, of course, runs deep. And so share your personal journey with mental health and an eating disorder through your early formative years. Absolutely. Um you know, it's it's such a big topic, uh, mental health. And I have to say, Dr. Jyoti, thank you so much for the work that you do and for bringing these conversations to light because it helps to add into even more force behind the fact that mental health is such a important conversation for us to, to dive deeper into because each and every one of us experiences it in different ways. And I I can truly tell you, um, I didn't know it, it related back to um, as long ago as five years old. And that was in regards to the separation of my parents. Um, so my mom and my dad had separated. And in that moment in time, um, my gosh, was I ever extremely loved as a child, um, still from both of my parents. But I had definitely taken on um, a lot of the stresses of what would have been their separation. And of course, nothing that they would have ever wished for me to take on. But I think just as human beings, um, regardless if we are those, you know, super feelers, um, empaths, or, you know, just anywhere along those lines, we're, we're bound to pick up bits and pieces of that along our journey. So, you know, we, it was, it was hard to get back on our feet as a um, now living, you know, separate lives with mom and with dad. And I had somewhere along the line picked up a, I'm going to use the word truthfully, habit 
of being restrictive and making sure that, um, you know, my sister and my mom were still, you know, in good sorts and all of those bits and pieces. So with that being said, I really wanted to make sure that they were, you know, constantly making sure that they had enough food and um, kind of almost becoming a caregiver in a way. And I would say that that actually had a little bit of bits and pieces that would relate to where my, and it was anorexia that I had dealt with, came in in my mid to late teens. I remember standing in a lineup at a grocery store of all places. And I was, I must've been like 14, 13 years old at the time. And I was looking at like the tabloids that were on the shelf as we do, and we still go through the grocery lineup. Um, And it was a magazine. And I remember it being this magazine called 17 Magazine. I don't know if it's still out or not, but I had looked at the front cover and I had seen this woman on it and I couldn't tell you still to this day who was on it, but I was like, oh, you know, she's probably so loved. And, um, and it wasn't that I was lacking love from anyone in my family, but it must've just been love from myself. And I thought to myself, you know, that's, that's a great way to perceive being loved is, you know, to fit this mold of what society is telling me at that point in time, at a very precious 13, 14 years old, that that is what I, I needed to fit the mold of in order to be loved. And society continued to show me this through commercials and through other magazines and through other means of sources of media. And it's funny because you and I, Dr. Jyoti, now can talk about how heavily we work within um, the space of different, you know, television stations and radio stations and whatever bits and pieces that might be. But, you know, that actually drives us to where I'm going in terms of this, you know, being my career is because when I realized that that is what I thought was, you know, the purpose of being loved and all those bits and pieces and finding self-love for myself. It was everything but that. So mm-hmm. I had undergone um, a diagnosis for anorexia and that I can probably say was about 17, 18 years old when it had fully developed. Um, still to this day, I, I have no idea, nor would it matter whatsoever, but I had no idea what I weighed. But all I know is that I was restricting myself. And through a lot, a lot of years of working with a wonderful woman who was actually across the street from the Calgary Children's Hospital. I remember my my therapist saying to me, when are you going to start not doing this any longer. We know we've got the tools to be able to do it. And we're working through these processes, but when are you going to start? And I had said something that I've learned over the years is a very common statement by many individuals. And that is, I'll start tomorrow or I'll start mm-hmm. Monday. <laughs> no, we can, we can all relate to that. Kelly. <laughs> yes. And she stopped me completely in my tracks. I still remember sitting by her fireplace, holding a pillow, the age of 18, comfy on this chair. And she goes, why don't you start now? Mm. Like, what are you going to do when you leave here? That is going to fill your cup so much that it has to change your decision to start now. You know, for anyone that's going through it, I know COVID has been such a magnifier to those um, with eating disorders. And um, by saying my heart goes to you, I don't even feel like that's enough of context to say how much I feel for anyone in that situation because um, there is help out there and there is people who are willing to, you know, have those tough conversations, but also support you in your process. And I can say that it really was a process. Um, my sister and I would oftentimes um, refer to the eating disorder as Ed. So we actually kind of gave it um, a, a name, if That's you will. That's a very practical name, actually, with the initial. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> 
creative thinking there. <laughs> yeah. And Ed, you know, we could, we could refer if, you know, Ed was a little bit more um, forceful one day than another, or, Hey, you know what? No signs of Ed today. It's been great. Um, and it's a good thing. I don't really have any friends by the name of Ed. I'm going to be honest. With oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I can tell you out of all of this is that, I ended up um, actually moving out from Vancouver to, uh, pardon me, from Calgary to Vancouver um, to attend broadcasting school out here in 2004, in 2006 was when I graduated from school. And when my parents, uh, and I say all four of them, um, and my sister, you know, drove me across both provinces to get me here. Um, I, I knew my parents were extremely concerned, um, being that they thought, okay, well, you're going to be all on your own. You know, this can go one of two ways. This can be your opportunity to magnify Ed, or this can be your opportunity to really grow and flourish. And what I'm about to tell you is that I, I really, you know, after a couple months of being here had developed a really great relationship with a girlfriend of mine who the guy she was seeing at the time, who's now her husband, mm -hmm. he was uh, a CrossFit coach and CrossFit wasn't heard of at this time. It, you know, nowadays it's like you can't turn a corner um, in a big city without it being like CrossFit gym. Um, but at that point in time, it really was unheard of. Sidney Crosby was doing these commercials to kind of promote CrossFit. And it was like, oh, but girls don't do that. You know, that was kind of the belief uh -huh. system, right? Um, and really, I had just started to go maybe two to three days a week and really had fallen in love with the purpose of moving my body. Now, I don't know if it was so much moving my body and that's where I kind of stall on that word. It was a little bit more of the fact of what it felt like to move my body and to feel good and to not feel fatigued and to feel energized and to feel, um, you know, a sense of rejuvenation coming out of a workout and, and feeling that, you know, sometimes we use the word like runner's high, right? And it was that, it was that exact um, feeling that had led me to realize that, heck, if I'm not going to fuel my body properly, I can't do these kind of things. I can't show up to class. I can't laugh with my girlfriends while I'm in here and enjoy company together because I'm going to be sitting on the sidelines, probably feeling faint or, you know, just whatever, whatever came along with um, the anorexia, which oftentimes truthfully was hiding, right? Mm. Um, um, so I had discovered CrossFit and I discovered my love for it about probably after a couple of months of, you know, my parents being like, so what are you up to on Saturday mornings? And we chat every day. And then all of a sudden I had, you know, said, well, I'm really enjoying this. And, and of course all four of them were like, oh dear, this is the sign of the relapse. Oh dear. Okay. So what are we going to do? And I said, please trust me that you know, I, I feel as if I'm on a path to understanding that I actually really need to fuel my body in order to be here. Hmm. And that was a huge turning point for me. And I would say from that moment forward, um, I just, I took every opportunity to take part in being a part of a community that I really loved and still to this day have so many close, fantastic friends in. And it was my recovery process. And it was, you know, it was my group that I got to continue to evolve as a, as an athlete. Who would have thought an anorexic turned athlete? I know, you know, we don't really want to put like a label on anything, but that just, it seems so surreal to me. Um, that I was able to take my body from, and my body and my mind, I probably should say. from Yeah, my mind perhaps even more than body, isn't it, Mandy? It is. It really yeah. is. And, and that was the journey. And I can tell you after years of, you know, having to remind myself, okay, you know, have a good meal before bed, and then you wake up in the morning and you'll train. And like, it still took reprogramming all of those bits and pieces, it wasn't overnight, um, which I know you, you are so great to speak 
such truth to as well. And, um, and yeah, here I am today where I can honestly say maybe Ed, oh dear, maybe came up like 10 years ago. Um, but since then I've, you know, I, I can't say that I've, I've had any instances, which I, I feel like I now have the tools for sure. <laughs> Thank goodness. I have to practice what I preach. <laughs> to kind of some of the things that you find on a day-to-day basis helpful, but I want to first kind of rewind a bit and, and thank you so much, Mandy, for that kind of um, just the, the insight that we gain later through coaching and therapy. Isn't it amazing how it helps us pull all the little puzzles together? Um, you know, and you're describing what, um, you know, I've seen a lot for a lot of patients over the years, um, you know, those early years something is happening. And of course, when you're five years old, your parents splitting up is that your world feels like it's falling apart. And and even though you have the most supportive or loving parents, the, you know, the little universe for little human beings at that age is so small. Um, And you're kind of describing very early that, you know, again, also very normal for children that are going through divorces is, you know, you feel, okay, I need to be caretaking here. And we know that, Um, eating disorders and anorexia in particular are so strongly correlated with perfectionism and control, right? And it gives us control over things that we may otherwise feel we don't have control over. Yes, that is very well said, Dr. Jyoti. And you know, something that did come as a realization when um, I gave you the the age range of 17, 18 to kind of be at the worst of it. Um, I had graduated high school at the age of 17. And I was uh, starting at uh, Mount Royal University in a Bachelor of Science. And I really, like coming from an honor roll in high school, was now in the complete darkness of which now I probably would look to as a great opportunity, but the complete darkness is what it felt like of, I don't know my teachers, my professors, I don't have control, which was interesting. You mentioned that over my grades Mm -hmm. and that was it. I don't have control over my setting of my high school. It was, it was so much that I had out of control, but what I could control, what was going in or not. And you think food is something that's a part of our day-to-day lives, right? In some capacity. And so here's this salient thing in front of us. Um, And of course, we layer that on with the 17 magazines. I certainly remember that. Not sure if all our listeners will, but (laughs) the 17s or the Cosmos or, you know, all all those things that have these, you know, well, now we just see it on a different filtered way now on Instagram, but these filtered images that are so grossly edited um, that, you know, you're vulnerable, you're in your teens, all these hormonal things are happening, you know, as teens and preteens, we're trying to figure out who we are in the world to begin with in the best of times. And then when we're bombarded, right, with images of what we think is perfect or lovable, (laughs) um, is we inadvertently can find ourselves pulled to aspire toward that in unhealthy ways. That's exactly it. Yes. And like you said, unhealthy ways, which is interesting that we'll put ourselves through that. And that I think is something that still fascinates me. And I'm so grateful to have these types of conversations because you really start to understand. And again, it's that vulnerability to open up about it, but that, you know, we all do it in different ways, which is quite interesting. Yeah. And, I, you know, for, for all of us, whether it's an eating disorder or some other mental health issue or crisis moment in our life, you know, often things need to get really bad before we get that kind of eye opening moment that says, ah, maybe I need to do things in a different way. Um, and Mandy, what was that for you? Like, wait, what was the, the period in your life that was the hardest with your eating disorder? What did that look like? And at what point did you start to notice that nagging voice or that, you know, that was kind of per- <laughs> propelling you toward a shift? Um, I would say 
it was, I realized that there needed to be a turning point when I could tell that um, I honestly think my periods had stopped, um, which is quite common, but not good, obviously. So um, like my cycle in terms of that, um, it had stopped probably because my body fat percentage was so low. And another thing for me was, <laughs> I remember I was working as an intern during one of the summers and I was at a, uh, a company in downtown Calgary. And I remember taking the stairs up instead of the elevator. And I remember getting really dizzy in the um, in the hallway uh, going up the stairs. And at that point in time, I was like, ah, you know what, forget it. But then I remember like a couple of days later, I was like, oh, okay, nope, that's not right. So that's your body was giving you messages. You were starting to see noticeable physiological things that made you say, ah, ah, ah hold on, maybe this isn't the best for me or the healthiest for me. Exactly. Exactly. And that's probably in the flip side when I was able to start performing um, at such a exciting level of exercise, you know, going from a push up on my knees to being able to do a full body push up to, you know, working to pull ups and strict pull ups and ring muscle ups and all that kind of stuff. That's probably what really excited me was that I was able to use my body as a um, as a tool um, for for what I really desired to do. And that was not feel dizzy going up a staircase because I hadn't eaten enough. Your parents worry that they had when they heard of this like new age CrossFit thing, <laughs> you know, back then was, was, uh, uh, you know, as you said, most people hadn't heard of it. And now, I mean, I literally have a CrossFit gym around the corner from where I live and, um, <laughs> is, um, you know, their worry was well-founded, right? Because the reality is we know that when we look at, um, you know, the range of eating disorders, but in particular, those that have a restrictive component to calorie intake, that there's often an unhealthy relationship with exercise that is focused on weight loss and weight loss exclusively. And so share with me what that kind of journey was like for you to navigate around having exercise enter your life in a healthy, productive way. Absolutely. I, the, what I know at my core is that I felt good. And I say that from a very non-ego related sense of self. I say that from a feeling of walking out and just feeling love for myself, that feeling that I kind of circle back to where I'm telling you, you know, that grocery store lineup, right? And looking at that 17 magazine and being like, ah, I'll feel love, you know? And, and no, for me, it was that sense of, um, you know, it, there was so many areas, being a part of a community, um, being a part of, obviously I just moved here. So it was, it was quite exciting to have new connections and to feel almost like a sense of family that was around me seeing as mine was a province over. Um, but it was, it was the community piece. It was the, um, without feeling attached to control because CrossFit really doesn't let you have a lot of control, um, because things are thrown at your way. And so many different shapes and forms. You don't go in, you don't really know what the workout is for the day or anything like that. Um, but it was that sense of achievement and it was an unexpected achievement. And even on days where you don't achieve, that's okay. You showed up and there was still a sense of love for self regardless of achievement um, and what level it looked like for that day. And for me, it was also just the, um, the turning point of fueling myself for success. And when I say success, like I, here I am telling you that I was able to, you know, not, not walk up a staircase feeling dizzy, right? We use that comparison and going all the way full throttle to taking part in my first ever CrossFit sectionals in 2010. That was before the regionals came into play um, for anyone that's CrossFit related and then the games. So going from the sectionals then to the regionals and, you know, it takes a lot of um, a lot of different components of the sport. They combine 
running, rowing, gymnastics, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting. And it wasn't that I was able to ace all different areas because that's not the reality of the sport. You have to be, you know, multi, um, not, not necessarily, um, multi-talented, but you have to be willing to, willing to show up and fail and being able to say, you know what, that's okay. I'll work at it. And, and that was really humbling that I didn't have to feel control or perfectionism. Yeah, it's interesting that um, you describe those elements of the exercise itself, right? The lack of control where things are literally thrown at you, right? Without prediction and, and control. And so that there was something about the nature of the exercise that it, it's, you know, the psychologist in me would call it exposure therapy, right? It's throwing you into something that is kind of, in many ways, the complete opposite of what, you know, a restrictive eating disorder can want you to do, which is to hyper, hyper control what's in front of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that it was my therapy truthfully, because uh, not only did I continue to work with a therapist from a distance, um, and thank goodness, I mean, we've got virtual now. Back <laughs> then, that was a new age thing <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> it was like, pick up a phone and it's usually the house phone and put it up to your ear. Um, <laughs> I'm making it sound like we're from, you know, the archaic times. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it really, you know, it, it had such, um, it had such meaning and purpose becoming that transition into the community and, and just finding that sense of, sense of self. What other things did you find helpful when you look at your recovery, Mandy, just from even increasing caloric intake, starting to not get so focused on, you know, calories in and the numbers and all of the counting rituals that can come along with restrictive conditions? Absolutely. And I think I was a really interesting case in terms of anorexia because I wasn't associated ever to counting of calories or weighing. For me, it was kind of more so like, um, you know, it was it was the restrictive nature without the counting. So I think that there's mm-hmm. it was different from what most anorexia cases would look like. Um, and that's not to categorize them. But what I would say is that I mean, never having weighed myself when I was anorexic, I still now being, okay, so let's think here, 18 years old started recovery. So I would be now um, 34, so 16 years past it. And I still haven't weighed myself. There's just no no purpose to mm-hmm. me, to be honest. And it's nothing I would ever be afraid of if I went to the doctors and they said, all right, jump on the scale for your physical. No worries. All good. I probably would, if I saw the number, wouldn't even think about it five seconds later on my way out the door. Um, but neither was calorie counting. So for me, the, the basis was a lot more feeling based. So when I was in my anorexic years, I would have said that for me, it was that feeling of, you know, not feeling too full, containing uh, or maintaining part of me, that feeling of, um, uh, of, you know, constantly not being too hungry, Mm. but just enough to be like, oh yeah, okay, I could have a little something. Well, yeah, it was little. <laughs> um, and then now where I I got to um, when it came to getting involved in fitness was that it came down to that feeling piece again, where it was not about filling myself too much, but it was about filling myself in terms of like that wholesome feeling. And I know I'm kind of going on the spiritual route there, but like a a feeling of just being like, oh yeah, okay. You know what? I feel ready to tackle anything. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't necessarily weight associated or a calorie amount, but it was the feeling of just knowing that I was, I was, I don't know if the word is satiated, but satisfied. (laughs) 
No, thank you for sharing that. Because of course, the reality is, you know, atypical presentations are more typical than typical presentations, right? And so, um, you know, important because not everybody's, I mean, whether it's eating disorder or depression or anxiety disorder, I mean, you have a hundred people, you have a hundred different manifestations of what that condition can look like. And so I, I really appreciate how you've, you've described that. And it's the that sense of emotional control, right? That feeling that we have, I mean, literally and metaphorically is you have to find other ways to fill yourself up. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And I so appreciate you even mentioning that, um, you know, you've got a hundred different people and it's looked at a hundred different ways. I mean, the, the amount of outreach groups that I was able to connect with and, and still to this day, talk to young women who are either in their teens or their early twenties and to connect with them while they're going through this. Um, I've never found one situation to really be very similar. Um, you know, we see some of the same characteristics, obviously, which is why we can identify it, but there's such different, you know, means or purposes behind it. And it's just, it's really wonderful to be able to get to the bottom of it because once you can have those conversations, you kind of just start to peel back the layers. And I still think of it to this day of like an onion, right? Where you've got the core right at the center there, um, you know, just kind of tight in the middle and you just keep peeling back those layers. And uh, it's it, eventually you get to the core of it all and and it really is worth getting there hard work, right? That doesn't always feel like it in the moment, yet, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and helps us put together all those little pieces. Um, and sometimes we need to go through those challenging times and those lows and those dips to really cultivate a sense of meaning and purpose in, in the direction we want our life to go. Absolutely. Now, now, Mandy, you've had a number of twists and turns in your career. And, and first, of course, as you've mentioned, started in broadcasting and media, and that evolved over time to fitness and entrepreneurship. And um, so tell me a bit about the career journey, um, you know, the, the good, bad and the, the ugly of it all. And because right, it's not easy to, to flip from one area to another and and just some of the lessons that you've learned about yourself along the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's been, it's been a wonderful journey and it, it all started, um, in broadcasting. Um, I was, I graduated December 6, 2006 from broadcasting school. And a couple months prior to that, I was hired by a radio station out in Vancouver, British Columbia. And, um, I was, I honestly had promised my parents I was coming home. I think as, you know, most kids that are off to, you know, post-secondary school are like, yeah, I'm coming home. Don't worry. I'll be home after this. And here we are 15 years later and I'm still- Vancouver sucks you in as, as one of the few people that is actually born and raised here. <laughs> Okay, yeah, doesn't let you go once you get here. <laughs> no, and there's so many great reasons as to why. And um, I had started my journey as uh, working for the morning show um, at that specific radio station, and it was a wonderful experience. And um, I was helping out, so like by no means was I getting anywhere close to a microphone at that time. But I was really intrigued and just loved to see the backbones of how everything worked. And then I was actually brought upstairs, um, and I say upstairs because Chorus Radio is a two-floor um, building uh, in downtown Vancouver. And I was reporting on the traffic and weather, and that evolved into actually meeting my best girlfriend. Um, that I'm so grateful. She always continues to remind me that she trained me oh, yeah. <laughs> in the industry <laughs> as best friends do. And um, I was working overnights. So believe it or not, I mean, a lot of people listen to traffic and weather overnight when they're driving, apparently more so truck, you know, drivers and taxi cabs and Ubers and all those bits and pieces. So um, we get some fun calls, I tell you. And she was great. She trained me up and I was doing uh, traffic and weather reporting. And then I actually got moved over to a different station. And that was a top 40 station where I met my other best two friends that I still am so grateful for to this day. So broadcasting had a really, really close piece in my heart to, um, you know, forming what I would call 
in all honesty, is my extended family. And I, I looked to them as my family here in Vancouver. And I ended up um, doing call-ins. So I would go up to the mountain and it was the joke. I was uh, always out in the snow and I would call into the radio station a couple of times in the day during the winter. And I was Mandy Gill from the Hill. And, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun, I tell you. But, you know, I had just known that there was something more. And I went and knocked on that poor program director. I say poor program director of the radio station because I wasn't going to give up. I was doing demos. My best friend at the time, still to this day, was constantly reviewing for them for me. I said, you know, I want to be able to, you know, fill in on weekends and I don't want to just report traffic and weather and I've seen more. And it took me a year and a half, but I worked my way up and I became an intern on one of the shows and then the morning show had a slot. So I filled in on the morning show there in terms of an intern and then another opportunity arised where one of the hosts got pregnant and I was like, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) I filled in for 18 months there, about 18 months, and then um, switched over to the afternoon show from there. But what I will tell you, Dr. Jyoti, is that while I was doing all of this, there was two pieces that really stuck with me. One was that um, on the morning show, the host at the time um, had actually really encouraged me to talk about my experience with my eating disorder. And I was like, why do people want to know this? I don't know if I'm comfortable talking about it. It was 2010. It was right when the Olympics were here in Vancouver, BC. And I remember talking about it and I got off the air And I was like, oh gosh, did I, you know, like I, it's such a big piece close to my heart. It was the first time I had ever talked about it. And the amount of phone calls that were lighting up on the other side and emails received and people that just wanted to connect that either could share in the experience or, you know, their son or their daughter was going through it at the moment. And they really hoped that maybe they could play this back to them. And the outpouring of support and just love really was something that stayed with me. And the reason I say that is because A, I never thought it would have that impact. And B, I think I truly in that moment learned what it meant to just be vulnerable and go and, and, you know, trust my gut, even though I was nervous, but to be able to say, Hey, you know what, there's that piece, Dr. Joti, you mentioned, there's no perfectionism. There's no control, you know, it it was an illusion really. And why I bring that into context is that during this whole time, regardless of being on the morning show or the afternoon show for the top 40 station, which is now Virgin Radio, was my boss would let me go for an hour portion. And usually it was around lunch break because I'd still fill in a little bit in the afternoon in the promotions department when I was on uh, the morning show or the afternoon show. And that allowed me to be full salary. And um, my boss would allow me, no questions asked, to go to my workout every day at noon. So the CrossFit gym in Yaletown. And yep, you go do your workout. It doesn't matter if you come back and you've just changed really quickly. It's all good. We know you're going to get the job done. And that really stuck with me because they supported my personal goals as much as they supported my professional goals. And I know from you working so heavily in workplace safety and psychological, you know, mental health and and all those bits and pieces as an employee that speaks volumes. And here I am now 9 years later after starting my own business and I can tell you those two individuals, the program director and the promotions coordinator definitely had um huge contributions towards me realizing how important it is as an employee to be respected for what your personal needs are as well. thrive in work environments and when our work allows us to achieve all of those other things that are important in our personal lives is I mean it really is win-win isn't it Mandy for you know not just individuals and employees but for the organizations more broadly it really is and I think that's where you know to answer your question Dr. Joti in regards to you know my evolution of my career 
it's interesting because I took that bit and piece and I realized how much I loved fitness. And from all of those people who had reached out um, following the sharing on air about my experience with anorexia, um, I had realized that I really was passionate in bringing forth my two most Um, I'm going to use the word again, passionate areas of expertise. And that really came down to broadcasting and fitness. And so I noticed at this point in time in radio specifically that a lot of our talk time as co-hosts was being taken away. And that was because Sirius XM was coming up. And I went into the vice president of Bell Media's office and I said to him, you know, I'd like to start doing segments on CTV. And he said, about what? And I said, I'd actually really like to look. And he knew from listening that a large part of my passion was in fitness. And he said, okay, well, why don't you come in next week and, you know, do me a dry run as to what you would you know, put on television um, as as a type of segment. And so, of course, that whole week, oh my gosh, I was so excited. Of course, there's no additional pay to this, nothing. And I walked in and I was so ready to be able to provide him the best performance that I was able to give from my heart to be able to educate people on TV. And again, pro bono, no expectations whatsoever. And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I remember 2012, February 14th, Valentine's Day was my first segment. And they welcomed me back every single week for 52 weeks in a row. And wow. so that's how it, I actually <laughs> didn't know that, Mandy, because I met you when you were doing those segments, because I'd be on doing my psychologist segments. And you just pitched a job and that's how you made your shift. <laughs> that's literally how I made the shift. And and funny enough, what I can tell you is that after doing that for a full 52 weeks consistently, and you know, for anyone listening as well, and Dr. Joti, I know you can speak to this too. That's all the content we come up with, right? Like, don't get me wrong, the the program or the producers do a fantastic job on their end um, to make sure things are organized, but we pitch every bit and piece. So we're coming together with all of that content and saying, all right, this is what we can fill five to six minutes with to educate your very valuable, loyal listeners and viewers who are tuning in every morning. And so um, that was 52 weeks of content that was wow, kind of, that's a lot of content. <laughs> it was fun. It was really fun. And what I will say is that I was actually funny enough, um, not funny at the time, because when we talk about, you know, those big shifts in life, I was let go from the radio co-hosting job in that process. So I was pulled in um, before I started my afternoon show shift on a Thursday. And I remember walking in and my program director, who I kind of looked at as a dad in all truth, had um, said, hey, Mandy, can you pop down into, you know, so-and-so's office? And anyways, the vice president, the HR manager, and um, the program director himself were sitting there with me. And I'm like, oh, geez, did I say something wrong? You know, like this doesn't look good. And it was my first ever layoff. And that was a huge shock. We talk about control. We talk about all those things. Thank goodness I worked through that because I can control any of this. And what the vice president said as he came out to apologize again that I was one of the 82, I think, that day that were cut. um, He said, I'm going to give you a day to think about it, but I really want you to come back next week regardless of being let go on the radio side. And I really want you to do your segments. Mm. And I, of course, looked at them and I was like, are you nuts? (laughs) (laughs) I can't show my face in this place again. I am, you know, just ripped into pieces and crying and, oh, geez, all the things, obviously, I think I must have been, oh, if this was nine years ago. Yeah, I was, you know, 23 and I was, I was totally, you know, beside myself. I had had my first mortgage at the time. I was like, what am I going to do? And of course, there was a lot of responsibility that came with that. So, I, I, you know, pulled up my socks the next week and I got in there and I did my segment of shook a little bit, but you know, I, I did it. And that equates to straight through until 2018 working uh, with them and actually contracting myself out doing segments. So thankfully what this shift tells you is that I actually decided to get my feet in hot water one more time till I was really proved it wasn't any longer my career choice. And why I say that is I actually moved over to a country radio station and I had gotten a job there as an evening overnight show host 
And I got let go from there three months after as well. So the universe was like, no, 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 Mandy, stop. (laughs) Exactly. And it was like, it was just so many cuts in the industry. And I was one of like 30 again. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, again, here's this mortgage I need to pay and all these things. And I'm like, I can't start up my own job. Anyways, I did. And it was the best decision I ever made. I fell in love with working with people. I got myself certified every which way I could in way of fitness. I got myself certified every which way I could in way of nutrition. I'm interestingly telling you, I got certified when it comes to doing, you know, different levels of nutrition that clients are looking for. And I get to work with them to this day. And, you know, it honestly, Dr. Joshi feels like another life for me to have lived anorexia but I know it was a huge part of the journey to be able to now look and work with clients regardless if they you know uh, admittedly say hey you know what I, I overeat due to stress and feeling overwhelmed or I undereat because I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed and and now I know I can use every bit of my journey to be able to help them and what it formed into was, I started to teach a lot of group classes um, for clients specific to um, what was created at the time. So it was a, um, it was my own business, and um, that transformed into continuously doing all of these television segments. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, magazines would reach out, and there would be different articles that I could provide them recipes for, and um, different workout sequences. And then with Reebok, um, my work with them was over, I guess, eight years. And I was a sponsored athlete with them because I had gone into, you know, the CrossFit regionals area and realm of things for those four years that you so kindly mentioned at the beginning of this conversation. And then I transitioned fully into ultra running and was in Disney World for my first ever, I think it was 82 kilometers. Um, And that was a road ultra. And yeah, it was just, you know, and again, none of this would have worked if I wouldn't have, like you said, you know, kind of hitting that bottom and really realize like, hey, you know what? I got to turn this around. And it goes to show that if anyone who's listening right now is in the bottom of anything, it really comes down to, you know, I, I apologize and I hope it's okay, but like sit in the shit, right? Like sit in it, feel it, don't avoid it reach out for accountability and help and somebody to talk to and there's so much light on the other side and um yeah there's there's a lot of truth to be said with that as you've been speaking i was thinking that the irony must not be lost on you that it was events out of your control that actually just propelled you into entrepreneurship, right? In this career path that took a passion and a love. And now, of course, you've grown it into a thriving and growing business. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I think what I've really realized, Dr. Jyoti, too, is like, I mean, we can work so hard to make everything in our lives. I'm going to think of like a trip itinerary, right? Like, I know that's kind of random, but to throw that out there, we can work so hard in our lives to be like, okay, yeah, we fly out at this time and then we're going to arrive here and we're going to check into the hotel and this is where we're going to stay. And then we'll go and we'll do this boat tour this next day. Yes, a a skeleton system is a great idea to have, but like I use travel as an example because we have no control. Ah, there's thunder and lightning, flights grounded, no problem. Okay, we're going to just sit and relax for a little bit. Another huge thing that I had to overcome was the fear of flying. Why? Because I couldn't be in control. And that took two years to come through. But now I'm like, oh, take me anywhere in the world. Okay, no problem. Great. A little bit of turbulence. This is great. Um, it's like a bit of a roller coaster, right? And and so where I bring in the trip itinerary reference as well is that, you know, you check into your hotel and it's not the room you wanted. Well, guess what? We're not in control of it. Um, you know, we can speak our minds, obviously, in a respectable way. But that control piece is just, it, it's never worth clinging on to so much so that it, it impacts our our experiences is really where I want to bring that into play is it's just to realize hey you know what things are going to ebb and they're going to flow and that's always going to be a part of life yeah and you're describing really flexibility and adaptability right and we think whether it's the trip that got canceled or the 
person that we thought was our love of our life, but leaves us for another or the job that we get laid off from Mm -hmm. that if we can be flexible and adaptable, and I would add in there, draw on our own strengths and supports that we have. I mean, my goodness, we can navigate through all kinds of, all kinds of, you know, what even feels like awful life events. Can't we? Absolutely. We can. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how we constantly develop those tools. Right. And, and at 18 years old, I probably would have said, huh, (laughs) you know, even with the amount of like knowledge I thought I had at that time, but I'm really grateful to be at the place where I am at now and have developed the tools and, and know what is a heck yes and know what is a definite no. And, and to also go through the evolution of, of business. And I can tell you, um, you know, there was portions of which during my career that I had a meal prep company and operated a kitchen out of Gastown and we serviced our clients. And, you know, we had a delivery team that d- would deliver to clients all across the, the lower mainland here in Vancouver is what we refer to it as um, Wednesdays and Sundays. And we would have over 500 meals going out a week and we would, oh. you know, serve out of the Steve Nash gyms you could buy them at the concessions when you were going in and out to work out at the smoothie bars. And that was a great, a great time. But you know what? Grocery prices inflated and our prices inflated and our margins weren't working out anymore. And you know what? It sucked. But I had after about three months to say, this isn't doing what it needs to do anymore. And to realize like that's business, right? And talking that up is a great experience and looking to another company to sell our contact list to and to, you know, say, hey, you know what, if you guys are able to do this in a mass production way, please service these fantastic clients and and to move forward from that. And now I noticed about three years ago um, that there was a lot of uh, conversations around habits and speaking with different, whether it be corporations or at expos, and this would have been more so in the, the region of North America. And I would, you know, start to realize, hey, you know what, a lot of these conversations that I'm being asked to have are around the same topic. So I started to realize that, you know, keynote speaking was uh, was something I could add into my my realm of, um, you know, ways that I can help give back and help to educate. And I worked with um, a couple different bureaus in terms of being represented and working with different corporations. And, you know, even during COVID, um, speaking to, I'll give you the example of DocuSign, their enterprise sales teams um, went through a huge amount of change. They weren't able to sell in front of clients anymore and say, hey, let's go for lunch. Let's go for dinner. Let's go for coffee. You know, a lot of these topics surrounded burnout. And I give you, you know, a a lot of other companies as an example, there's probably everybody listening right now can say they experience this wherever they are in whatever industry. And I use DocuSign as an example because of the, you know, the meaningful conversations I got to have with their teams and doing this virtually, because again, prior to COVID, and we talked about resilience at the beginning of this podcast, it was always on stage. It was the fact of the matter of seeing people's faces and their mannerisms and, you know, being able to show up an hour in advance and get a feel for the room and stay an hour and a half later and talk to people. And, and now, I mean, you know, whenever I'm, I'm doing an event, our second bedroom of my partner and I in our home turns into a studio and, (laughs) you know, it's, it's resilience. And I was like, am I really doing this? And, and I can tell you it's, it's actually become better. Like, I can see, and and don't get me wrong, I so look forward to having in-person events come back here and there, but I know it's not my, let's be on a different plane eight times a month. It's just not reality to be able to have a meaningful relationship to me or to be able to have a family and to be able to be connected with the ultra running that I still love to do and training with my girlfriends and my other half. And, you know, it's just, it really brought context into I can do this, but in a different means. And when I say this, I mean the virtual side of speaking. And there's been a great way to connect with others through it. Um, Is it the end all be all? Definitely not. But is it a great option? A hundred percent. So it's been quite an evolution, especially this last year and a half. Despite uh, 
you know, things being less than ideal in many aspects of, of life in our society right now, we have this shared experience of having to look for the hidden gifts that have come through a period of, you know, I, so I like to say a period in our time where one day we're going to fast forward to the seniors home and look back, right? And think, oh my goodness, do you remember 2020, 21? Um, but here we are forced to find those hidden gifts. And there are ones that come along with virtual work and remote work and being able to both, you know, as you're describing, um, fill up the buckets of our personal life that are important to us, whether it's training for the marathon or nurturing our relationships or being home with our puppy, right? All kinds of things that are really nice. Um, and when we can focus on those gifts, it helps us just navigate in a, a bit more of an emotionally resilient way. It does. It really does. And you realize, you know, um, it was interesting. I was chatting with a client earlier this morning, Dr. Jyoti, and and she was saying how much, you know, she's really noticed that. Um, and I mean, uh, many people will explain it differently, but um, she's after undergoing a lot of uh, mindset changes for her weight journey um, in terms of weight loss. And she was saying that she can really feel a huge connection just to have been sparked with her mind and her body. And where that comes down to is that I think a lot of us have had the opportunity and I pray, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to assume that, but we've, we've kind of been forced to really find that, right? Like to sit in our in, in the shifts that are happening around us and be like, you know what, that feels really good. Or, you know what, ah, no, you know what, that was a little too much on that area. And there's actually something I still remember you saying to um, one of my best friends that I know that you have a wonderful relationship with. And this was pre-COVID, believe it or not. And I remember you saying to him that, um, you know, don't plan more than two things in a day that are you know, events, if you will, right? So like, if you finish work, and you know, you're going to also do a workout, and you're going to meet a friend, okay, those are your two events, right? You don't have to fill it with a ton of things. And we've really learned over the last little while here that, you know, it's not about filling our cup with a million different things that doesn't necessarily fill it. And even if it does at a certain point in your life, it's okay, if it doesn't at a time like now. So yeah, it really comes down to those ebbs and flows. Yeah, and slow and steady wins the race, doesn't it? Unless you're doing an ultra marathon like you. <laughs> Although I slow and steady probably is still good there. <laughs> yeah, the I slow mean, and steady is I am I definitely know. not the person that will ever be doing CrossFit or an ultra marathon. I think, oh my goodness, 81 or 84 kilometers driving that makes me feel tired. <laughs> so, so props to you, Mandy. Um, now, <laughs> now this uh, is a nice little segue, actually. I mean, anyone who's ever had the pleasure of meeting you knows that you are a fireball of energy. <laughs> and, and my goodness, even your like emails and texts are enthusiastic. And and uh, but here's the reality: is you're also human. And you're going to deal with the same inevitable bumps and valleys that we all do. And, and so, uh, Mandy, just share, you know, how do you manage those days for yourself where emotionally or physically you aren't feeling at your, you know, 100%? Um, yeah. You know, because we see this persona, we see it on social media, right? The joys of these filters that we get. And you think, okay, here's this, you know, beautiful, energetic, happy entrepreneur. Yeah, of course. How do you manage that? I appreciate you you mentioning that. And I think you're so you're so right. I mean, there's a lot of um, there's probably a lot more of that in all truth that um, I'll, I'll say if I had the time, I would be so happy to share because I am the first to say, oh my gosh, it is not always pretty. Um, and when I say pretty, I just mean lifestyle wise, right? Here I am saying, you know, a podcast called Hooked on Habits and the Healthy Habits app and all those bits and pieces. And yes, there is there is moments where you really just have to um, you have to look at the bigger picture, right? Where um, we're all human and and where I come down to with that in way of, you know, making sure that even on my days when I'm having hard days, the, the check-in that I give myself is, it really all comes down to sleep for me. I will say first and foremost, I need and I don't think I ever rob myself maybe less than three days out of a year if I have to. And it's usually due to traveling or jet lag, but I need, I need seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. No question. Um, I am 
not necessarily the kindest person to work with. (laughs) Have I not have had a good sleep at night? Um, My second thing is movement for my body. I can tell if I am irritable. I can tell that if I am just kind of like fidgety in the way of, you know, just needing a bit of a refresh, I won't put myself through you know, sitting there and becoming frustrated with myself. I know that it's usually just like a 20 minute walk around the block that will probably clear my head entirely. And I will come back completely new and refocused. Third would definitely be exercise. Like you said, Dr. Jyoti, and I appreciate it. I have a lot of energy. (laughs) 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 And where I go with that is that, yes, I do. Like I will drive people nuts if I am not They're like, how are you having so much energy? And you know, for me, running is a meditation. Don't get me wrong. There's workouts. I can relate to hill sprints last night where I probably had a few choice swear words in my own head while I was running up those hills. But I just love the feeling of you know, nothing is able to, um, to take away my focus, right? I'm in nature. I've got, you know, squirrels, I've got trees. It's, it's me in my meditative state. And so I know that those three things, sleep, movement, and exercise always set me up well. One of my favorite TED Talks is called Sleep is Your Superpower. Um, Maddie, if you haven't watched that, and for our listeners as well, the science around the importance of sleep is so, so strong. The same way we need some water every day and some movement every day, we absolutely need um, sleep. And we're in this weird world where it's like a badge of honor if we're not getting sleep, right? When people are like, I was up all night or I only slept five hours. And it's like, we're giving people pats on the back and it's like, oh, yay, you must be important and busy, right? And, and but the reality is, 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 and I'm a little bit older than you, but oh my goodness, I'd say the, the one biggest gift of COVID one, no more planes, trains and automobiles, which has been a real gift in life, right? If you can actually you know, be home to have dinner with your partner, um, but sleep and um, my goodness, uh, the day's getting darker and uh, I laugh, I think Friday night we were in bed at nine and I thought this feels absolutely luxurious <laughs> but it solves so many things right and i know when i'm getting irritated or i'm stressed or whatever is happening almost always i have to stop and i have to say i have to look at my sleep and then i usually realize i've gone you know a ridiculous number of days without good sleep and the science will tell us seven to nine hours is what we need consistently and i will actively make a plan to make sure that i'm getting into bed earlier wake up time i can't do much about it is what it is for work most days but it's that getting into bedtime that we can control we can right and we can work backwards from it and and you're right like covid was a great opportunity to kind of reassess and um and i do agree with you i think that you know as the the cozier months come into play and it gets darker earlier and it's like our bodies are very much like clocks right like try to have a 10:30 p.m. bedtime for myself like i do probably during the summer because the sun's setting around then for quite a few weeks that that comes naturally when it's light out but when it comes to dark you know at 8 o'clock at night I would love to be in bed by 8.30 yeah. with a book. And, and so, yeah. And, you know, to add one more piece onto that, I would definitely say that I have a wonderful, obviously my, my partner, my love, my best friend. Um, I can go to him about anything and my friends and my family. I mean, I've got probably, you know, this, and it doesn't have to, you know, be a big number, but this, this, I could honestly say like a a solid five people on my hands that I could count that I could go to and not question any kind of, you know, judgment or, you know, Hey, I need your input on this situation. And even if I'm not feeling my strongest at a certain time, they could weigh in on it and say, 
no, you know what, you've discussed this with me before. And you know what, I think that does sound like a good path. And, and so even on those days when I'm having really tough days and I need to make what I would consider important decisions, or even if I need to talk a situation through that just didn't feel right, I know I've got those people in my life that I can rely on and turn to. And I would say that really helps me as well with like keeping in check of, um, in, in way they contribute to my resiliency for sure. We are fundamentally social beings, right? And our, our social connections are so immensely important in helping us navigate through all kinds of uh, big or small challenges in our life. Um, and thank you so much, Mandy, for, for all of that. It's been so lovely to, to speak with you. And, and I have one final question for you. Yeah. Uh, we're going to rewind and get you back into that grocery aisle, staring at that 17 magazine. What would you have said to yourself with the wisdom you have now? Hmm. There's so many things coming to mind. I would say, <laughs> I would say that love is different for every single person. And what works for this person that I so-called see on, you know, this magazine is not me. And I am so grateful for the incredible, oh, just the incredible love that I have for myself and everything that, and everyone that surrounds me to have brought me to where I am today. And yes, that's even as that, you know, 13 or 14 year old that's looking at that because I had an amazing upbringing and time as a teenager. And as much as, you know, there was so much hard stuff that had to be going, gone through, um, which I know so many teens and, and people in their twenties and whatever age can relate to. It's like, no, you know what? Love is, love is darn powerful darn powerful, but it's within. There's no Photoshop that can find you love or, you know, filter as we kind of went back to there too. And, you know, it's not about the highlight reel. It's, it's about real relationships. Wonderful, wonderful advice, Mandy. And thank you so much, Mandy, for taking time to speak with me. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. If you've enjoyed our conversation, I would love for you to subscribe and consider sharing with a friend. We have a breadth of free resources at tardigradetalks.com. Thank you, and I hope you join us again. Wishing you psychological health, wellness, and resilience until next time. Mm -hmm.